Hello and welcome to the Geek Guild, a podcast where we talk about all things geek. My name is Alexis. I'm John. And I'm Adam. Today we are going to be talking about Wizards of the Coast open game license. It's going to be a doozy, so I hope you guys are ready. (laughs) So who wants to start? I think, John, you should. You seem to know quite a bit about this. Yeah, you got this. Oh, you want to start with the rant? Are you sure? <laughs> like, oh Might no! Well how just... long is <laughs> how long is your podcast normally? <laughs> Usually about an hour. So I figure oh, we might as well just just dive in. Oh man. Um, okay. Full disclaimer: I am not a lawyer, nor do I practice any law. Therefore, anything I say legally cannot be considered legal advice. Um, <laughs> no, I, I say that because, uh, so for brief, brief overview, so way back in the year 2000, um, Wizards of the Coast finalized their purchase of TSR and began working on Dungeons and Dragons 3rd Edition. And at the time, it was decided that they would do open source, which was really, had gained momentum in the 1990s and was becoming more and more kind of prevalent in the 2000s with web 2.0 and everything sort of taking shape and what eventually happened was they designed the ogl 1.0 and what this entailed was that anyone could utilize the the srd which is the system resource document for wizards of the coast and could build modules spells whole adventures entire other supplements for dungeons and dragons third edition without reprisal, legal reprisal, from Wizards of the Coast. So let's say you went and wrote a 400-page supplement full of all different races, classes, feats, equipment, spells, you name it. You packaged it, you bundled it up, and you wanted folks to be able to use it for Dungeons & Dragons. As long as you signed this agreement and were, you, know, you printed the OGL in your book, you were good to go. Not a problem. So it's kind so of like, fl- you know allowed plagiarism <laughs> yes that's, that's and no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes yes and no so what effect the the yes portion is you could use uh certain character names certain creature names like for example a beholder mind flayers or illithids as some of us know them as like you would be able to use those uh in your game and you'd be able to use the proper formatting what cannot be considered plagiarism is the system mechanics so for example you saying i'm going to roll a d20 is not copyrightable so that's a very very old yeah that's a very very old thing where game mechanics are not you know that's not copyrightable however if the game mechanics are and this is why i gave a legal clarification at the beginning of this if the game mechanics are transformative to the point where they would be considered a work of art, i.e. the D20 system, that could potentially be like copyrighted or at least trademarked in such a way that it became IP, intellectual property. So the 1.0 allowed folks to create content for the D&D system. And if they signed a separate agreement for using the d20 system they would be allowed to do so and have the d20 system branding across their books 
A very, very famous example is the modern D20. If you look it up on Google or whatever and just Google modern D20, it's a, very, it's a bunch of old source books. And that was allowable with the D20 system because of these two very explicit licenses. So flash forward to around two, right around 2010, 2011, right at the height of World of Warcraft and a lot of other kind of video gaming mechanics that were coming out. Wizards of the Coast decided 3.0 had run its course. 3.5 was a huge success, but it was now time to do something else. And after about a decade of using the original gaming, you know, the open gaming license 1.0, they had refined it to 1.0a, which is what most of us, if you look up the OGL now, that's what you'll see. They decided that it's time to take D&D into quote unquote the future, which they decided was going to have digital tools. So it would have a character creator, it would have a rudimentary form of what we now know as a virtual tabletop. Um, it was pretty broad in scope. And the core of that was Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. 4E changed the OGL to what was called the GSL, which was a much more restrictive document on what third-party companies and content creators would be able to do for 4th Edition. They wanted the content creators to support it, but they wanted to make sure that their property was going to be protected. Wizards of the Coast's property was going to be protected, and they would be able to get some cut of the profits. But they left a clause in the GSL that stated, if you do not wish to agree to these terms, you can continue publishing content under 1.0a. For those playing so the home those, game... Those were confined got, to... Those were confined to the third edition, right? Like third and, keep... and 3.5. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, and it's really weird to make that distinction, but the... 3.5 edition D&D is just different enough <laughs> that it was that halfway halfway edition. Um, and when this happened, several companies went, well, we kind of don't really see a need to do the GSL or sign these agreements with Wizards. We'll continue working under the OGL. And uh, like I was saying, for those playing the home game, they'll, they might recognize Pathfinder as an RPG title. Pathfinder and its company Paizo were created and came into being because of this. And over the course of 4E's history, Pathfinder actually eclipsed it. It was a very, very brief moment in time where a different company had the world's most best-selling popular tabletop role-playing game out there. Because essentially Pathfinder was 3.5 or 3.75 for some folks. Um, 4E was also a disaster, but that's not the focus of this podcast, <laughs> for sure. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I like 4E just for the record. Um, so now flash forward to 2022, and D&D announces they're bringing 5th edition into the future, but instead of doing editions, they want everything to be titled under one D&D. So it's no longer D&D 5, D&D 6, 4, whatever. It's all under one D&D. Everything they make will be backwards compatible, and... When they first started showing off some of this, a lot of folks were going, well, where's anything about OGL? And it wasn't until December 21st when we got our first response from Wizards saying, the OGL's not going anywhere. We promise. We may have some updates to it that will allow us to work with larger companies so there's some royalties and back and forth and so forth. Uh, but it's not going anywhere. 
Well, flash forward to just after the New Year's when a leak on io9 slash gizmodo, same parent conglomerate, they posted what was going to be in this new OGL 1.1. And it's terrible. It's pretty um, bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to I was about to say, Adam, you want to give us your opinion on it before we launch into more? Yeah, so so as someone who's not you know necessarily as well versed in the TTRPG RPG world and everything as you are, even where I am as just a a simple home DM, lord, this new OGL <laughs> is horrible. So, a few things about it and correct me if I'm wrong as you know, I am still looking into this. For the OGL, nowadays you have to, for the new one, you have to apply for it so they could just straight up deny deny you if, for example, you've criticized Wizard of, Wizards of the Coast, the parent company of D&D before. Um, of course, all previous versions of the OGL are now null and void. You just can't use them, so now you're forced to use this if you want to use anything from uh, D&D or 5e. Um, if you make more than like what I think it's seven hundred fifty thousand dollars on the, uh, the stuff you make with that license, uh, you you then have to pay royalties to Wizards of the Coast. I think depending on the way you make that money, depending on the source, it's somewhere between twenty and twenty five percent royalties, which is, I mean, freaking massive in my opinion. Um, and it's yeah from the gross yeah yeah, yeah it, it's, it's pretty that's horrible. the big kicker. <laughs> it's just. And with that license, Wizards of the, of the Coast, even once you apply for it and get in, they can just revoke your license at any time for seemingly no reason. They technically have to give a reason, but it's not really legally binding, so they can really just say anything. Um, mm -hmm. And they can make changes to any of the terms we've said within 30 days. And the biggest kicker is that with this license, if you publish stuff under it, Wizards can use content that you've posted under this license for themselves. So let's say, you know, you make a really good source book, really good adventure, and you post it. They can be like, cool, that's a really good idea. Um, you no longer can use this license. We're going to take that idea and put it in our book. So there you go. Also, the money you did make on that, you did go over like a million dollars, so you have to pay us royalties. So it's really bad for not only, you know, small creators, because A, they have to apply for it. So they could just get, you know, if they're not going to help the company, they, you know, Wizards can just ignore it and just, you know, deny their uh, them wanting to use the license. Or for big companies like, let's say, Critical Role, um, who's why I think the the highest revenue Twitch channel on uh, on Twitch, they c they're going to have to pay a crap ton of royalties and lose a whole lot of profit. So it's a big issue right now, and there's I I, I take a lot of issue with it because the biggest thing about D&D that has made it so successful and the whole TTRPG community is its community, the players, which is mostly third-party uh, stuff. Third-party, you know, w whether you're looking at uh, subclasses, whether you're looking at whole adventures, or even if you're just looking at funny TikToks, um, which is technically under its own, you know, subsection mm -hmm. of the OGL, which you can talk about here in a bit if you want to. But that whole, you know, community is basically just getting squandered at this point with this new OGL. And it really makes people not want to go out and create and not want to try new things because what's, what's the point? I'm actually glad you, you, you said that um, about what's the point. So the funny thing is, is I think that's what Wizards was kind of counting on. They were, they were counting on, well, we don't want our business 
like and I'd, I'd love to break some of these down because there's that was a great 10,000 foot coverage adam by the way like 100 <laughs> percent. that was a Why great 10,000 foot <laughs> um because each one of those is like a point where you got to go into it and then you stop and you go but wait there's more exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like it's <laughs> so that that overview was 100 percent on the mark so kudos to that um but Lexi, to your point, what kind of sucks is they were expecting folks to be like, well, I don't want to lose my business. I'm just going to sign. They were they were hoping they would be too scared to, to try and take them on um, from a content creation standpoint. Well, what's happened is the exact opposite. Um, some of the biggest third-party content creators, and I keep saying thir third-party, but the interesting thing about these, and I'll name a few here in a second, is most of these people worked for Wizards of the Coast. They aren't just folks like Adam and I, hopefully not sitting in our basements, you know, <laughs> drafting up maps and, you know, like scribbling on, you know, on napkins, like, no, 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 you turn left here. Well, I don't know. Well, give me a napkin. Hold on. We'll draw it for you. Like, these are, these are professionals in the industry. So, for example, the very first adventure path, oh God, that's a Paizo term. Let me try that again. The very first adventure that was published for fifth edition um, was the the Tiamat saga, um, which is actually out in my living room right now. Otherwise, I'd grab the book. But that was done by uh, Cobalt Press. They have become one of the largest third party content creators for Wizard, like not just for Wizards of the Coast, but for the TTE like RPG industry. If you go on their site and you look at everything they've created, it is a massive amount of material all done under the, the OGL, the 1.0A. And th like I said, they have worked in concert with Wizards. They wrote the first adventure path. Most of them have worked at Wizards at some point in time. Another good one is Green Ronin Publishing, um, which is one of my favorites. They've been working with Wizards of the Coast since the early 2000s. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt Koval, who a lot of DMs, myself include, uh, included, watch his content on YouTube. Um, he has a lot of great series on how to be a better GM and how to tweak the rules and, and really work through problematic players, problematic situations, uh, just a, a trove of information on how to run the game and make your GMing better. But he's also a content creator. Um, his company is MCDM. He worked for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Monty Cook Games that created the Numenara series, which hopefully anyone listening to it knows the video game that you can grab on consoles and on Steam. It's an isometric Diablo-style RPG, but the creators at Monty Cook Games worked for Wizards of the Coast. Like I said, Paizo, a large majority of them. Um, Starfinder is fairly popular with, within the greater community. Starfinder was created by one of the guys that spearheaded fourth edition DD. so it's not just a bunch of small folks that have been affected by this these are like i said folks that have been in the industry the heavy hitters as i would call them and adam you mentioned critical role so there's a little fun piece of facts that we might get into if we if we get a chance to but um there's an interesting correlation from when critical role stranger and stranger things came on the scene and uh, I mean, if you guys want, I can go into it right now just to give some background as to why Wizards is doing this. Um, but I know I don't want to take up the whole time going through this because this is going to get crazy. 
I think you, you should go for it because I think I know where you're going, and it is it, it definitely helps. It's pretty important to see why. Yeah, I I agree. I think people deserve like the whole picture as much as they can. All right. So. I'll I'll kind of I'll kind of start this at the beginning. So one of the one of the things about this 1.1 that has irritated a lot of folks is actually not just the document. If the the 1.1 stated all of these crazy terms and royalties, but they left a clause in there saying 1.0a isn't going anywhere. We're not touching it. We're not messing with it. It still exists. Do what you will with it. If that had remained, I don't think we would be having this conversation. I want to oh, no. prep. Yeah. Before I say anything else, if that had remained. Because all the companies would have been fine. They would have been publishing their works. Because the kicker is, one of the, the clauses in it is that they want to deauthorize. So they want to revoke 1.0a. And anything that is published under that then becomes an unauthorized publication of a prior agreement. Which, once again, not a legal advisor or anything like that, but essentially, <laughs> had you published books under the 1.0a had not accepted the 1.1 wizards could slap you with an injunction and say you cannot sell this product it's unauthorized we will take you to court for infringement the interesting thing about that is wizards can't do that they can change the terms of 1.0a there is something in there that says in perpetuity which is up to a wide range of interpretations i don't want to go down that that rabbit hole but they can say you can't publish this because it infringes we don't have a precedent for that in any sort of terms i mentioned how game mechanics game systems those can't be copyrighted we've never had a legal case on whether or not a system or content based on game mechanics is technically copyright infringement we've never had a legal case like that so let's say under the trademark uh, under some trademark you know loopholes here let's say you create a new system and it is as close to D&D 5e as you can get just the names have been altered to protect their identities kind of thing right so you write this whole document you get it set up you go to publish it wizard says you can't do that you didn't sign our agreement they decide to take you to court well you go through all the court proceedings and then all of a sudden it's upheld because it's not technically copyright infringement, you could put compatible with 5E and under trademark law, perfectly legal. Think about all of the, the third party controllers you have for your, your consoles, like everywhere from like Logitech to like the old Mad Cats from the early 2000s. All of those say compatible with Xbox or compatible with PlayStation 5, right? That's because of this trademark legality. You cannot make something and say that it's compatible with product X if it isn't actually compatible with product X. And if the product isn't patented, you can build things that are compatible with it. It's like going on Amazon and you're looking for a phone case that's not sold by Samsung or Apple, but it works with Samsung and Apple. It's a very, very similar like gray area that we've never been in before because the OGL 1.0a just, it was fine. Like they gave you permission, so we didn't have all this churn. So what happened with all this and getting back to the critical role, stranger things and that stuff. So what happened was 
Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. And they've been, within this 20-year period, they have not reported Wizards of the Coast's financials to their shareholders. So all this profit that they've been making on Wizards of the Coast has just sort of sat out there. Everyone wanted to know what G.I. Joe was doing this year, what Transformers was doing this year, what new Michael Bay movie was coming out featuring our, <laughs> our favorite robotic warriors. You know, like they didn't, they weren't worried about the geek stuff that sat in the corner collecting dust. Um, because as of right around the time Stranger Things Season 1 came out and Critical Role Season 1 launched, D&D only brought in about $50 million a year in revenue. $50 million. That wasn't even enough for Hasbro to view Wizards of the Coast's flagship RPG as a core brand opportunity. So they never reported it. Magic the Gathering, which is also owned by Wizards of the Coast, is a completely different story. So if you're wondering, yeah, but what about Magic? Yeah, um, no, they're a core brand. They're solid. They've been exploiting that for years. Doesn't mean they haven't messed it up recently, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, so I didn't have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. <laughs> so right around the time, like I said, Stranger Things Critical Role comes out, suddenly D&D is not just that thing you sit around the table and roll dice and everyone looks at you sideways. It's not a lifestyle brand. You can go buy T-shirts. You can go buy Beholder plushies, which is still weird in my opinion. I've seen enough hentai to know what those tentacles are going can I say that on this, on that? Is that going to get us in trouble? I know the FCC doesn't care about podcasts, but um, sorry. <laughs> one thing, one thing I will. Go ahead. Oh gosh, what was it? Roll to seduce the dragon. Oh god, no, no. Okay, yeah, open the door again, Lexi. Quit doing that. So. Put a pin in that. We'll, we will seduce the dragon in a second. Because that actually I happened. Wanna, <laughs> I just want to say, I find it ironic that before Stranger Things and, like, Critical Role and everything, if you said that you played D&D, you were weird or, like, satanic, and then suddenly these things came out, and then it was all the rage. <laughs> well, to be fair, some of us are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have Anton LaVey books. Oh, you know, mm, that was really weird watching the last season of Stranger... Sorry, total tangent, but the last season of Stranger Things, and I'm I'm looking at some of my friends, they're like, this is crazy. I'm like, this is actually based on actual events. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. In the 80s, like Alex was spot on, the satanic panic. That literally happened. Yeah. Poor Eddie. Um... May he rest in peace. We're getting off topic here. <laughs> no surprise. So back to Critical Role and Changing Things. So obviously this starts generating not just interest, but it starts generating a lot of a lot of profit for Wizards of the Coast. And I mean a lot of profit. Um, at the same time, the, the narrative around the TTRPG industry starts to change. Like we have D&D Beyond, which was not owned by by Watsi at one point. It was purchased, I think, two years ago for about $144, $146 million, um, which was a substantial investment by Wizards of the Coast into this, like this product. And 
as it turns out, all of that money was not being reported back. So about two, three years ago, a small group, like a think tank group, decided to crunch the numbers. They got a hold of, of the books because it's all public knowledge. You can look up any of the financials that you want from Wizards of the Coast. So they started looking into it and they started piecing together how much Wizards of the Coast makes. And they took their findings and they published it. And you can look this up. It is called Free the Wizards. And the thesis was that you could spin Wizards of the Coast into its own separate publicly traded entity company, right? Like free it from Hasbro, let it go its own way. Hasbro can be like a parent corporation and a conglomerate, but Wizards of the Coast operates independently. The valuation from that 50 million sum that was there only a few years prior to now is about 2 billion. Yeah, D&D became that big of a cash cow for Hasbro that all of their ventures that they've been funding, all their movies, all their other projects, all their licensing, everything was being pulled from that bucket of profits. Wow. So here's the kicker. That got published. And now all of a sudden the investors are like, so how is D&D uh, faring this year? You know, we noticed it made a lot of money the past couple of years. And, you know, we've never really asked about, I'm so sorry for the voice, like it's terrible. That's but they great. started asking the, <laughs> they started asking the questions. What do you think Wizards' response was? <laughs> oh, well, we feel that our players are under monetized and that we could be doing more to exploit this, you know, our brand in order to bring in larger revenue and profits and thereby boost our overall margins by doing all of this. And the irony is the, the current lady that's in charge of Wizards of the Coast is on record saying this, like yeah, on record as saying, words, right? Yes, that is her. Um, she came from Microsoft, the Microsoft one days when it was that a very cool. Right closed system, microtransactions everywhere, DLC out the wazoo. And what's funny is you notice now she's gone and Xbox is doing a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> like Game Pass Ultimate is legit, folks. Um because they made it open source. Well, sort of open source. It's you pay for the service and you have an access to a much larger variety of and library of video games. Um but that was their mission statement. So it's no surprise that all of a sudden we're seeing this uh, change coming from corporate where all of a sudden D&D is now something that they need to focus on. And I use gigantic air quotes there. And it's because Stranger Things and Critical Role suddenly made it a household name. Mm -hmm. And the generational passing of old AD&D, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and 3rd and 3.5 to the next generation of players you have this perfect storm of digital enterprises like D&D Beyond virtual tabletops like Roll20 and Foundry a plethora of third party content that you can dig into and Wizards is getting none of that profit and they're not so? happy about that no and from a business perspective let's 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 cut to the chase here from a business perspective they, they should absolutely be doing what they're doing now. And I want to make that very clear. Corporate, uh, corpos are going to corpo. Like, they're going to mm -hmm. take as much as they can. And 
begrudging them doing what a corporation does is a little on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't make what they're doing to the folks that have made D&D what it is. That's that's the part that's not fun. And the big thing is, like, like especially mentioning Critical Role and, and, and other big creators, like, I, I mean, I can almost guarantee Critical Role is making agreements behind closed doors trying to figure out what they can do. Because notice how none of them have said anything. The only thing we've gotten from anybody on that whole team was Matthew Mercer, the DM uh, of that group, and, and someone who, who really doesn't have much power over the company. Um, you know, liking stuff on Twitter, people saying, hey, this ODL sucks. That's all we've ever gotten. They haven't said anything. It would be in their best interest to make these agreements behind closed doors, which means them, the people who who actually, you know, yes, did, you know, make this game so popular along with Stranger Things, but also the ones making the most revenue who would benefit Wizards of the Coast mostly are going to be the ones who are making the agreements behind closed doors so they don't have to pay that much money. So really, the ones who this is affecting most is medium to small size creators. Um, maybe, maybe not even medium, maybe a little bit bigger. Like looking at Cobalt Press and stuff, as you know, if they don't do their own thing, they'll be paying a lot of stuff. But the the group who would be making Wizards a lot of money isn't even going to be. I mean, they will be affected, but not nearly as much as as you may think. And so the and that's the interesting conundrum. I'm really glad that you put it the way that you just did. Because you're right, we haven't heard anything. The interesting thing, and, and this is this is going way into like put your tinfoil hats on like speculation territory, is Critical Role has been making minor changes to their campaigns over the past season, where they're currently fighting the gods of Exandria. I don't know if anyone here listens to them religiously or, or watches them on YouTube. Yeah, so they're currently Hard yeah, spoilers. it's like <laughs> wow, John, not even a warning. <laughs> So if you're and... currently, currently uh, you know, watching campaign three, maybe just, uh, maybe, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> and they all died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, yep. My bad. Stepped right in that one. Oh, I'll shake the illithid out of my head. We'll be fine. So they've been making changes to sort of change, break away, and move away from specific copyrighted material, like like the beholders so if you if all right spoilers if you haven't seen season one of critical role <laughs> they eventually fight a beholder during the the campaign well it's really funny when you turn on legends of vox machina on uh, amazon and you're like where's the beholder yeah where's well K- was it kavarn where's kavarn yeah they took them out for a specific reason so they didn't breach copyright the speculation is that critical role is is working on their own system. The question is whether or not they have the income and the revenue to support them until that is completed because so much of their business relies on D&D. And this goes into something in that 10,000 foot overview, Adam, that you gave us earlier, where wizards can go in and say, yoink, that's ours now, right? Mm-hmm. So Critical Role has published two of their own books. Um, both in, in Taldore, so there's the Taldore and the Taldore Reborn, uh, which are fantastic books. Highly recommend picking them up. I, I really, really love that world. Well, they've t- they've published two official books as well, Nether Deep and Wildmount. 
if they were to let's say wash their hands of Watsi, go their own way, make their own, you know, system, write their own SRD, and maybe provide their own OGL to their content to other creators in the community at large, the world of Exandria under the new OGL 1.1, if Critical Role were to sign it in the short term, would now belong to Wizards of the Coast in perpetuity, cannot irrevocable international sub-license, and would not have to pay Critical Role any royalties whatsoever. And that's the kicker. So we talk about Critical Role and we talk about all the money they generate. Well, if Watsi, if they break with Watsi, Watsi gets to go, that's ours anyway, and continue making money off of Critical Role, whether or not they're aligned with the business. So they haven't said anything, because I agree with you. They're probably behind closed doors, probably not with wizards, but with lawyers. I guarantee you they're, with, they're working with lawyers wondering, what is our best option for the future? What can we do? Now, in, in the, one, the OGL 1.1, Wizards does state that the creation of the world and if any copyrighted materials to that creator exist, they do still own that work. So, Exandria is still copyrighted and owned by Matthew Mercer and Critical Role and that whole company. But the fact that Wizards can just say, yeah, you know, man, we really like the, uh, the Blood Hunter class, that stays ours. And we don't ever have to pay you a dime for us using it for whatever purposes we see fit. And that goes for anyone that signs the commercial license of OGL 1.1. So Adam, you're primarily homebrew, right? Yeah, primarily. Like I, mean, I own the books, but I mean, at this point, I'm just either making it all myself or, or doing what most people do is looking to places like Critical Role Cobalt Press, even the, the Dungeon Dudes uh, for inspiration. I love those guys. <laughs> um, so when you're writing your content, do you do you base it sort of like largely in like notebooks and, you know, Google Docs and all of that? Or do you put any of it on D&D Beyond? Like, do you physically load in spells, equipment, all of that, subclasses? Do you build those in D&D Beyond as well? Both. Uh, so I, I have all my notes and everything, especially my session plans, my general ideas for the plot, or just random ideas I think of, uh, and like mm -hmm. general things like like uh, you know shopping catalogs on my in my OneNote, all organized into folders and all that. But when it comes to my campaign, so the stuff I purchased on D&D Beyond, kind of regretting that now. Um, I can share with my players. I have a subscription to D&D Beyond. I have a campaign where we put all of our characters, the digital character sheets. Uh, in the campaign so they can access my stuff. I have homebrew spells. Haven't done any classes yet, but I mean, there's so many classes, homebrew items, and all of that on D&D Beyond. So it's kind of spread out. And so let me ask you a question. <laughs> Imagine this one, this 1.1 goes live, right? And they do have a commercial and a non-commercial license. And we haven't really seen the full breadth of this non-commercial part but let's say you sign the non-commercial clause because you're like well i'm never going to make x amount of money and by the way the 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 floor so the seven hundred and fifty thousand is the ceiling that they called out mm -hmm. the floor is twenty thousand 
So even if you did a small crowdfunding exercise, that 20,000 could potentially generate a a 20% or 25% uh, royalty fee. Yes. Now wow. that's, like I said, that part is speculation because we don't know exactly the contracts. And, oh man. And by the way, anyone listening, you can go download the 1.1. It, 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 it can be found. It's not like some weird ethereal document that, you know, was shown on a, a stream or something. You can actually get a hold of the physical document itself and read some of this. Because what I'm about to say is not going to sound real. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. They use Brunor Battlehammer. If anyone's read the Drizzt books. So Brunor is the dwarf, like the dwarf to end all dwarves. They use him as the example of somebody signing the license and leveling up their their license with D&D, like with you know, Wizards of the Coast, and how much they make, how much revenue they do, all of the stuff that they create, how they want to... Like, it's so insulting. <laughs> um, because it shows exactly what they can do. Brunor Battlehammer is owned by R.A. Salvatore. Like, that's his creation. And Wizards is just like, well, he's going to walk you through giving us your product. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, that happened. <laughs> um, but so, Adam, so let's say you sign this, this non-commercial agreement, right? Because you're thinking, I probably won't make any money. Mm-hmm. Now let's say you're you're headed somewhere and you pick up one of the official books and you're like, hold on. That spell looks awful freaking familiar. I wrote mm-hmm. that spell. Well, you put it on D&D Beyond, didn't you? Yeah, and I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it because I signed it. I signed my rights away by by signing this putrid, horrible, god awful, <laughs> insulting OGL one point one. So let's really say, <laughs> let's say, Adam didn't sign anything, but he continues with the homebrew stuff on D and D Beyond. Are there any mm-hmm. repercussions for that? That's a great question because Wizards is silent. We yep. this is now. The second time, so today at 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. Eastern, they were supposed to have a live stream. I'm sorry, no, 3 p.m. Eastern. They were supposed to have a live stream where they were going to, they had this really wonderful marketing video all ready to go, and they were going to answer the community's questions in a sort of open forum. I'm like, yeah, because the video is a real open forum, but whatever. They were going to try to address some of these issues head on because... If you were to sign these agreements, you had until tomorrow, the 13th of January, to sign this new OGL 1.1. I'm really interested to see if that comes to pass or not, but just wanted to point that out, that tomorrow was the deadline. And Wizards, they never refuted the leaks once the document got out there with contracts that came attached to those documents to sign. There was no rebuttal. There was no one from Wizards going, no, 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 this is in really bad taste. This is not what we had intended. This, it, it, They have done no damage control, which has led folks to believe that, did they do this on purpose? Did they, they throw this out there to gauge the reaction of the community and get this negative feedback first? So that way, whatever they eventually hand us, it's like, oh, by the good graces, we listened to the community and we've made it so much more whatever marketing term they choose to use this year. It's- I heard I heard that today. I also heard that someone said, you know, well, tomorrow's Friday, which means most people have the weekend offs. And 
Monday's Martin Luther King Day, so the earliest we might get something is Tuesday, and by then, all this ruckus just might blow over, because maybe they think that we're dumb, and we'll just kind of calm down. Oh, yeah. No, they totally think we're dumb. I mean, we're just nerds, right? <laughs> what can we really do? Did you hear... <laughs> Did you hear what happened also today um, after the whole live stream was canceled with D&D Beyond? Which part? Where now the, the, I don't know who their names are, but like a whole bunch of high-end creators on like D&D Beyond told everybody to like unsubscribe and then D&D mm -hmm. yep. Beyond went down and now yep. you have to go through an external link to unsubscribe. Yes. So around 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, uh, the the leak for this whole stream that they that was about to happen went out. Um, a group of gentlemen known as Roll for Combat, uh, who are absolutely fantastic. They do a lot of Pathfinder stuff. Uh, one of the guys that runs the channel used to work for Paizo. So once again, they're in the industry. It's, it's not a couple of guys or talking heads or a couple of ladies and they're talking heads on a channel. This is folks in the industry. Um, they did a push to, as a part of the whole open D&D &D petition, um, to advocate for people to cancel their subscriptions. And the reason for that is we're numbers to Hasbro. We can raise as much ruckus as we want to in, in terms of um, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube, this podcast, we can shout it from the mountains how bad this is. But numbers and dollar signs will probably make a bigger impact. So the idea was to have as many people as possible cancel their D&D &D Beyond subscriptions and literally show them through monetary loss, like, no, we've, we're not going to stand for this. Um, I will admit I did. And I let the folks in my various campaigns know that I was canceling it. They'll have access to it through the end of February because I do the the triannually plan. Um, and that's everything that Wizards has ever produced for 5e I have purchased. I want to make that very clear. I am not one of those like sitting on the sidelines kind of folks. Like that's every single digital and physical book. So they have my money. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I will say, I, I really respect the fact that you've already went ahead and done that. Because I, I saw those cries, too. I saw the whole, um, you know, I saw the whole thing where people were saying, hey, everybody unsubscribe, everybody un unsubscribe. Hey, everybody go do the one d, &D play test it in your notes. You know, have, have the whole hashtag, like, you know, screw the OGL, whatever they had. Um, I haven't done it yet. Because um, I, I want to have the discussion with my players to see, hey, some of you guys are using some of my content. You know, eventually, if I do unsubscribe, you guys won't be able to use that. What do you want to do? So, I haven't been nearly as you know uh, forward-thinking as you have. Whereas you, you know, when you just straight up just disconnected and said, "Screw this company," you know. So I respect that. <laughs> I think um, one of the coolest. I think one of the coolest things that has come from all of this is the. All of these RPG players are banding together to be like, hey, this sucks. <laughs> I think it's really yes. cool that everyone's kind of connecting in this time. Yeah, because it used to be, um, I mean, not even that, that recent ago, where it'd be like, oh, wait, you, you play 5e? Do, 
3.5 is the best. Or, oh, you play 4E? <laughs> right. Now, right. Like, everyone... <laughs> now everybody's like, oh, you play 5E? Cool. Did you hear about this, this bullshit going on at Wizards of the Coast? <laughs> everybody's banding together. So it's, right. it's, it's really good and, for the community. And even non-D&D players, I've noticed, are like, hey, you know, we support you. Like, this is huge. <laughs> Well, and there's a great reason for that. Like, first of all, yes, it's really awesome to see everyone set aside so many version wars and whether you're an OSR, which is the quote unquote, the way D&D was meant to be played as way, as the way Gary Gygax first, you know, all that nonsense. I have OSR books and I like <laughs> OSR, but that drama, that's another type of drama. Um, but even they're like, no, this is BS. And here's here's the big reason why. Once again, a lot of those, I don't play d and I play, I play Pathfinder. Well, cool. That's covered under the, o, the, the OGL. I don't play d and I play Forbidden Lands by Free League Press, which is a beautiful game for those listening. Cool. Correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't World of Warcraft somehow related to D&D? Yes, and so is Knights of the Old Republic. The what? original, by, oh yeah. Um... I will admit the the hot take on this was thankfully thankfully uh, proven to be untrue. But when all this went down, um, the guys that I mentioned before, Roll for Combat, not to throw shade their way, um, but they posted a really great meme about um, Revan is now owned by Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> because for those that don't know, uh, Knights of the Old Republic and World of Warcraft were built on the D20 system. They actually use the same calculations and algorithms that the tabletop does in order to generate like how you attack, how you hit, how much damage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what happened, especially in Knights of the Old Republic's case, is that they hashed out a very lucrative agreement because they were going up against George Lucas at the time. And let's be honest, that man is a wizard with contracts. Um, they went up, they they hashed out a deal with, with Lucasfilm and LucasArts and BioWare in order to ensure that they could use the D20 system, but it was a beneficial and mutual thing for both. So while Knights of the Republic is and shares DNA with D&D 3.5, it fortunately, ha it can't be caught under all of this. It's a separate thing. Um, same with World of Warcraft. But yes, you are correct. Lexi, they are, they share the same DNA. And that's the kicker is so many things that we don't necessarily think about are somehow tangentially linked to this OGL and how it was developed, how things were built. And even if it no longer like is resembles D&D &D in any way, shape or form, it could potentially get caught. And it's the potentially that's scary. So, if, okay, let's say, like, with uh, Critical Role or World of Warcraft or anything, like, before this new um, OGL hits, can they still take that content and make it their own? No. Even though it was written in the past? If that makes Thank sense? Yes. Wait, what? Are you talking about, it? can wizards take it? Or can yeah. we so, create? So like, so, oh. so like with Critical Role and like all the worlds that they created, can Wizards of the Coast take that and then make it their 
own, even though it's Critical Role stuff? That's the conundrum with Critical Role that Alex was referring to earlier, and that I was saying they released two official publications for Wizards of the Coast, uh, Netherdeep and Wildmount. Those are technically legally owned by Wizards of the Coast. They may not own Exandria and Tal'Dorei and all of that, but because those products were released as proper Wizards of the Coast product, mm. how Critical Role untangles that, I think is why they've been silent. It's a little bit easier for Paizo to sit there and go, ha, no thanks, buddy. We're just going to make our own OGL we're going to rewrite our system so we don't have to deal with you guys anymore. Have fun. It's like King Kong and Godzilla are going at it right now. Um, very literally. And we're all underneath of them going like, don't hit us. You know? <laughs> but um, with Critical Role, it is they are so, so intertwined that it could get really awkward for them. Because think about it this way. They've been sort of the face of the the D&D community for, what, five years now? Imagine here we all are sitting on places like YouTube and this podcast talking about our frustrations with what Wizards is trying to do. Now imagine they launch this video for for one D&D and the new OGL and there's Matt Mercer agreeing to it. Hmm. Adam, you just got real quiet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all, all, all I could see was that uh, that, that beautiful long-haired man. Uh, he is damn good looking, is he not? Wizards of the Coast. He is. He is. He is damn good looking. Nah, man. It would. But you go ahead. You go ahead. I was gonna say it would. It would be a, for me. It would feel like a betrayal. It'd be a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like we're 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 now all. Kenobi standing, you know, on Mustafar going, you were the chosen one! It was supposed to, you know, it's like, that's, that's, you know, you were supposed to leave, you know, all of that nonsense, yeah. Bring balance to the false, not leave it in darkness! There, right, I've done the quote. <laughs> there you go. Um. <laughs> now, now, do but, I think that'll happen? No. No, I, I don't think so. Even though, at this point, like, Critic Role is this massive thing, and, you know, I don't think, like, you know, certain people still have control, like, you know, certain members of their cast being, like, CEOs of the company. People like, like, you know, Matthew Mercer specifically, like, he, I, he wouldn't stand up for that. Like, he's he's been liking people's posts that have been, you know, you know, uh, showing that people dislike this new OGL. Even though he hasn't said anything, based on, on those likes and kind of person he is and how he's been in the past, he's, I don't, I don't think he would ever do that. If he did, it would, it would be a massive betrayal. Uh, 100% agree, and I think he knows that. Uh, they're they're pretty savvy. And for those that also don't know about Critical Role, is they are professional voice actors. Um, it's what makes their content so good. Is that's that's what they do for a living. They know how to bring these characters to life, like not necessarily on screen as the characters, but behind the scenes as well. That's why the the Legend of Vox Machina is so great. Because they're just doing what they do for a living. They don't have to worry about the dice rolls anymore. <laughs> um, oh gosh, it turned into a love fest for Critical Role. That was unexpected. I mean, are you surprised? <laughs> a little, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, when I, I first approached 
when I first approached Lexi about like uh, asking if she wouldn't mind me being on the show, um, I actually wanted to talk about some of the more, uh, what I would say, problematic elements of, of being a part of the D&D community. And Critical Role is actually one of those things I identify as a problematic element. Um, it creates, they, they create a very awkward set, a, like, set of expectations. Um, they fudge a lot of rules on their show. And they are not what I would consider like an actual play that's designed to teach people. It's entertainment, pure and simple. And it's beautiful entertainment. But imagine someone who has no idea what it is. You show them the show, and then they want to play. So they show up to your your session, and it's a bunch of kids sitting around a sheet of graph paper, you know, with 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 dice in their hands, and they're like, "Where's the castles?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Where, it, where's all the the amazing terrain? Where Where's Matt Mercer? I want a DM like that, and that gets to the whole Matt Mercer effect. Yep. I exactly. feel like Stranger exactly. Things had the same effect too. It did. Oh, that season five, like where they're they're battling Vecna, and there's Eddie Munson doing his best Matthew Mercer impersonation. That scene is gold, absolutely gold. <laughs> but so not what D and D is in real life sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, to, to be to be honest, what that would have been like, it'd be like, dude, what are you gonna do? We're already twenty minutes into your turn, and they'd be like, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know what to do. It, it, it would just be that the entire time it wouldn't be this this epic thing of oh you got to roll the d20 you got to see what happens <laughs> man i so one of my rpgs the choice is shadow run so for me i'm sitting there looking at that scene going man if this was shadow run everyone's gone out for pizza while the net run like while the decker's doing their net running thing you know like <laughs> he's he's going to spend 45 minutes cracking into this like these different nodes and working his way through his different like logic paths. So who's up for dominoes? We'll come back later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, it's you not that bad. <laughs> so you, you, met, you mentioned that you, you have an RPG. Did you just mention mm -hmm. that? So I guess that's a pretty I did. good transition. Um, this RPG you've been working on, do you want to tell us, tell us about it or anything about it? Yeah. And tell uh, us sure. how, how this new, open game license stuff is impacting it if you don't mind no not at all um i am terrible shilling for myself myself number one um I'm, I'm not good at it so if i suddenly lose a lot of confidence and sound insecure it's because i am no i've i've read your rules it is incredible <laughs> maybe this oh, good because maybe this is what we need to switch to whenever DD eventually dies it's, it's really, it's really good, Adam. Like he has everything covered. It's it's incredible. Well, right, do you want to show John. for me? Oh no! Please keep going. You're doing a better job than I would. <laughs> You've got this. <laughs> no, um, I love the I love the cyberpunk type, you know, edgy feel to your RPG that you have. And so that's the, act, all right, the... that, that's <laughs> Go a good ahead. setup. So, no, no, it's okay. So, um, ironically, and I'll lead off with, uh, well, I'll, let's try it this way. So, I started writing. Um, I'm a huge cyberpunk fan. Um, have been like since I was a kid. And yes, everyone has the touch points like Ghost in the Shell, Akira, The Matrix. Um, the new cyberpunk anime Edge Runners was way better than it had any business being. Um, so like yeah, if it's if it's got everything drenched in 
rain and neon signs everywhere and has like the Blade Runner aesthetic and synth wave music in the background. Oh yeah, I'm there. I don't care if it's terrible. I'm going to just be like, this is beautiful. Um, even though it's a terrible world, but I, my group sort of got bored with, with fifth edition. Um, and not bored because we weren't having fun with it, but there wasn't, there wasn't enough crunch or mechanics. And there are a lot of things in fifth edition that the, even in the dungeon master's guide, certain things just aren't covered. And I don't mean like they don't give you ideas on how to work with it, but like Adam, you're a homebrew DM, you know exactly where I'm coming from. You kind of have to rewrite it to make it work for your table. Oh yeah, for sure. Because especially if there's a rule, like if there's a rule that one person doesn't like, okay, now I, I need to rewrite this whole thing. Or if it's just slightly confusing, <laughs> I mean, you know how it is. Es- especially whenever it comes to things like a uh, jump distance, because then you know, ma- ma- you know, there's oh. a certain rule for it. And then what if somebody does the whole thing where they're like, okay, but what if I like get a really long like start to it? What if what if I what if I run for like thirty feet? I'm like, well, what do I do now? You know? <laughs> Not a problem called action points and uh you can run and then you can use strain and then you're going to make an acrobatics check (laughs) there you go (laughs) but the funny thing about that is 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 uh, while DD has that level of of crunch and mechanics and you can do it that way there the action economy ends up hurting more than helping um so that was what ended up happening is we sort of juggled through a bunch of different rpgs um, one of my personal favorites is the Genesis RPG that was written by um, Fantasy Flight Games and is now taken over by Edge Studios. The basis of that was from the Star Wars RPG, not the D20 system RPG, but the Edge of Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny. And if you've never had a chance to look through those books, one, they're gorgeous. If you like Star Wars at all, the artwork alone is worth buying the books. Um but they had a, a narrative – they had a proprietary set of dice, and it was more n- a narrative-focused. So instead of – one of my biggest gripes with most TTRPGs, not just D&D, is that the DM rolls behind a screen. And the characters don't always know if you're fudging those rolls or not. And savvy players will kind of look at a situation and go, did you fudge that roll? Was my character j- supposed to die? And you're like, uh yeah, but I didn't want you to die because I know what's in the next room, and they really need your healing spells, bud. You know, <laughs> but it, it it created this separation between the the DM or game master, or as I call it in my game, the data manager. Because let's be real, that's what you're doing. You are managing data. Um, there creates a separation, and I felt like while we get involved with it from the game mechanics perspective, we were kind of sort of like behind the screens, you know, like the scene in Wizard of Oz. Don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain! Like that kind (laughs) of scenario. And I wanted to sort of take a lot of the lessons that I learned from things like the Genesis. And I mentioned Shadowrun earlier. I have played every edition of that game with the exception of first. Um, I happen to really enjoy third and fourth edition. Fourth edition is one of the cleanest rule books I've ever seen. Um, even 6th edition, which is hugely maligned, so you probably lost a lot of listeners for even mentioning I like 6th edition if they knew Shadowrun. Um, but there were elements from all of those that I liked. But when I first started working on this, like I said, we got bored with D&D. But the Genesis, no pun intended, 
for working on a cyberpunk RPG came from Eberron. Eberron is my absolute favorite setting in D&D. Second, second would be Ravenloft, but Eberron has this really cool pulpy steampunk, aetherpunk kind of ethos to it, and Keith Baker's work is legendary. Um, and there's so much of it that I really enjoyed, and I'm like, it would be so cool to like bump this a couple hundred years in the future, make everything like super monolithic. The dragon houses are now house corps and they're corporations instead of just being these guilds of elitist families, even though the families still run them. So it, it like started creating a parallel world to what Keith Baker had done. And what ended up happening was I started looking at the DM, you know, the actual dungeon master's guide and looking at all of the ways that things were really gritty and, and how to really jazz up the setting. Like there is rules for modern weapons. You can go a little bit harder. Like for example, um, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it describes long rests as being a week instead of overnight. So imagine your wizard who starts at level one, who has like eight health, just got janked for seven and they have to wait a full week to heal up. <laughs> Which, to be fair, would be more realistic, but way less fun. Exactly. So it turn, it tones down the heroic fantasy aspects and sort of grounds it a little bit more. And it worked, but once again, it's not built for a large futuristic setting. So I started ad hocing a lot of things and rewriting rules and adding a new subclass called the Neural Mancer. Yes, kind of sort of named after Neuromancer, the William Gibson novel. I can't escape that <laughs> reference. But... Um, but the idea was like a magic wielding tech hacking like techno sorcerer right which are those exist they're called technomancers in shadowrun go read that if you've never read shadowrun it is the most bulletproof setting i've ever read it's amazing but i started pulling from all these different things and i realized at one point that it had gotten so bloated with trying to make 5e work for the table that i'm like this is basically a different game and i really didn't want to rely on D, D to carry it specifically fifth edition so i started reworking it into where it is now which is some of shadowrun third and fourth edition it's all you know some of the genesis rpz green ronin's modern age there's some dna from there but i can't escape the fact that it's still kind of largely based on eberron in, in fifth edition and my concern when all of this broke was holy crap how much of this would be covered under the OGL? Like, how much of this could Wizards ask me to sign a commercial license? Like, so let's say I did a Kickstarter for this. It goes through Kickstarter. Somebody points this out to Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast comes back and says, yeah, you've used the term long rest, and long rest in the Dungeon Master's Guide is this specified quote of text. No matter how I rewrote it, the basic idea is still there. It takes seven days for you to fully heal. Is that mechanic copyrightable? Is that mechanic covered under the OGL? I'm only been working on this for a year and a half. I don't have that legal knowledge to know whether or not it's covered or not. So when I first saw this, I'm like, crap, a year and a half, I'm concerned now. So I've since started rewriting the rules from the ground up, removing anything that is in reference to D&D. &D. Um, and it's 
I think since Friday, when all of this first started happening, I think I've lost three or four nights of sleep. Cause, and I work a regular job too. Um, I'm a, ironically, I'm a business analyst. <laughs> I'm a DM for real. <laughs> That's um, what I'm going to school for. <laughs> oh man, you're going to love it. It's a great gig. Um, so I, no, do, you I, think, I really... do you think because of all of this, you're going to end up stop writing your RPG or are you going to continue and just try to find the way to make it less targetable? So that goes back to what you said earlier, and, and Alex, you touched on it, or Adam, you touched on it as well. Sorry. Right. Adam and, and Alexis, similar. Um, apologize. So sorry, my insecurities are showing now. But uh, it's what you said earlier about folks stopping or giving up or being less creative. And what I noticed from the community is as soon as this broke, it was a very huge flag planted in the ground saying, hell no, we won't go. They're not going to stop they're going to continue to, to do what they do and love, which is create. And it was really, really gratifying to see the community do that. Like Paizo, as we've been talking, just released a statement saying they're doing their own OGL, their own game. Like they just made their statement loud and clear. So now they're going head to head with Watsi, officially going head to head with Watsi. Uh, no, sorry, Wizards of the Coast. For those that don't know the, uh, colloquialism so i just for me, learned that today <laughs> oh watsy yeah <laughs> so for yeah yahtzee <laughs> oh, god <laughs> now, now i've got harlequin and like a dragon onesie running through my head and that's not a bad image but beside the point so the community rallying and, and doing what they're doing has actually given me a lot of hope and part of the reason why i've lost those nights of sleep is not just worrying about what to do, but like, no, I'm not going to stop. Like, if anything, now is probably the better time if anybody wants to to do content creation to do it. Yes, it's easy to create spells for D&D. It's easy to follow their template. But what it does is it pushes you a little bit further. It's like, okay, I don't need D&D to do this. You know, the homebrewers at home, they've, they've already written their own rules. They already know how to work out how conflict resolves differently. You know, when someone asks for a perception roll, they're like, ah, it's more of an empathy roll, so I'm going to make that a skill now. Like, that's not in D&D. That's nowhere in the SRD and is not covered under the OGL. So you already have opened the door to not relying on Wizards of the Coast's product in order for to, to create your own content. But there's a caveat with that. D&D isn't so much about the product as it is about the brand recognition. Utilizing 1.0A, that version of the OGL, and being able to release stuff on drive-through RPG or doing a grand Kickstarter, that, that gets you going. You're making something that's compatible with a game that a lot of people already know from Critical Role, Stranger Things, etc., etc., that's going to give you an automatic in for your audience. They know what to expect when they pick up your product because they already know the rule system. Instead, you're now creating something from scratch that doesn't have D&D beyond to power it. So now you have to worry about digital tools. You don't have the virtual tabletop so, or the maps. And you kind of have to figure out 
who do I hire or who do I work with on that? So it it raises more business questions that I will definitely have to answer in the coming weeks. But at least knowing that I, I feel bolstered by the community. So thank you to all the creators out there for taking the stances that you all have. This is from me to you, not just from the podcast personally. Like <laughs> it's great. Like, all these folks have done is just tell me that, hey, it's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. No one's stopping you. And I, I can't I- express enough gratitude seeing that these folks that I've revered for years, like I said, plant that flag and go, hell no, we won't go. And it's like, it's great. It's like, you got to get to saddle up next to them and put your arms across your chest, you know, your chest and push it out a little bit and go, yeah, me either. No one knows me yet. You know? <laughs> okay. Soapbox over. <laughs> so I have an interesting question for you guys. Yeah. All right, so let's say that Wizards of the Coast ends up backing off on this new OGL thing. Do you think that there, that there will still be a question of morals to the RPG community? As to, like, uh, like the moral standing with uh, Wizards of the so, Coast and how they are? Yeah, so, like, <laughs> let's say... Let, let's say... If some of the theories are correct and Tuesday they come out with a statement and they're like, you know what, we heard you guys, we're going to back off. Do you think that as, you know, players and DMs and John as a creator, do you think that there's going to be a moral question as to whether or not you continue with the things that you're doing? Thinking that, you know, this is what Wizards of the Coast wanted to do. Or, or do you think that people are going to be like, okay, they really hurt us. We can just go on about our lives. We're going to pretend this didn't happen. Well, the, the way I view that is that this isn't just, uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast, the D&D company. I mean, you know, there's all, all kinds of things that our company Hasbro do, but Wizards of the Coast, they also make magic. And seeing as the way they hang, handled magic and how, in a similar way, they're kind of handling D&D now. No, if, if they retract this, um, I, I don't think that any, like, I personally, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think, okay, they hurt us, they understand what they were doing was not right. No, that's what they wanted to do. So, just in the way that I'm no longer buying Magic the Gathering products, um, if I decide that, you know, that right now, if they do go through with this OGL, I'm not going to buy anything. Even if they, you know, even if they go go through and say no, we're not going to keep this OGL. We're sorry. We're just going to keep it the way it was. I'm probably not. Probably still not going to buy anything from them because I I think their morals are messed up. The people who are on the ground floor, like the people who work there and come up with the ideas, the low level people, I'm probably fine with. But it's the people up top who I have the main issue with, and that are going to make me no matter if they keep this OGL 1.1 or you know go you know go and get get rid of it i'm just not going to support them anymore what about what about you john how do you feel that was a great response i almost feel like we need to have a podcast to talk about magic now <laughs> oh boy i'm like i really that would be a fun one oh i know i feel like i need like we need to give you the spotlight and let you go like seriously <laughs> 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You may have a Magic the Gathering episode coming up, I guess. As Adam <laughs> knows, I know literally nothing about Magic the Gathering, so I could definitely benefit from a Magic the Gathering podcast. Okay, let's do it. Uh, I, yeah, well, I, well, first of all, yes, let's do it. Second of all, Lexi, don't worry. Watsy doesn't know about Magic either. <laughs> <laughs> if you... Let, 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 let's save that pent-up hatred for the Magic <laughs> Gathering episode, because, boy, trust me, I, I got you covered there. I'll, I'll oh, get y'all no. with schedules. I'll get y'all with schedules. <laughs> oh, done else. and done. Um, so, but, but going back to your question about, like, it, I, I do believe it, it is a moral question. But there's two parts to that. Um, one, a, a, a minor disclaimer Anyone that chooses to continue playing 5th edition um, or purchasing products from WotC does not deserve any ire. Um, and that bears repeating. They do not deserve any ire. It's a, what it's a, a game what about the What about the basement people who just like to play? It's, and that's exactly who I'm thinking about. They, they know the system. They know the game. It brought them friends. They have built their own little community. I mean, Lexi, you went to your first Ren Fair because of D&D, right? Yeah, my D&D people. Exactly. Who are who are we, no matter what Watsi has done? That's just not something that that we should advocate for them to to take you know to take away from them. You know, by saying like, "Oh, you support them," like that's that's not okay. Like you should know better. Like that's not appropriate. So I think the better response is it's more of like an eyes wide open thing like you know the company has made some mistakes this is a big one and this isn't just like a mistake that we can we can come back from which i can correlate to another company that i have some issues with which is games workshop and warhammer 40,000 um and it's it's a good correlation so put a pin in that but continuing to play D&D and I know when Lexi, you and I first talked about this, I said that I, I, I don't know if I could. I, I know what they did. I cannot, in good conscience, buy another product of theirs. Um, I actually put, I had the Dragonlance book in my hand about two weeks ago. And I know what went on with Dragonlance and what they did to the creators of Dragonlance, which is why, by the way, there is the clause in the OGL about them owning in perpetuity the sublicense and all of that. It's because of what happened with the Dragonlance creators and them having to settle out of court to to continue using Dragonlance as a setting for Dungeons and Dragons. And for those that don't know, uh, Dragonlance was the first setting for D&D. It was not the Forgotten Realms. The Forgotten Realms didn't come around until third edition. Uh, AD&D, I'll correct myself, but continuing to buy products from the company knowing that that's what they could be potentially doing that they could be completely stealing from their community or from anyone that chooses to sign the OGL if it is released the way that it has been leaked to us with the contract signed if they walk it back no matter what they walk it back I totally agree this was what they wanted to do we got them to back down, but it doesn't change the fact that this was their original bargaining chip. And it's taken them this long to prep any sort of response. Even a simple tweet saying, we've heard you, 
this was too far. We will fix it. Like nothing, not even an acknowledgement of what we're doing right now, which is venting all of our frustrations. The only thing that we got was a blurb on D and D Beyond's, you know, fan or community blog saying, "We know you have questions," and they actually used quotes around questions. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> um. You can bleep this out and post if you want, but motherfuckers, it's a bit more than questions. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I can't in good conscience continue to buy product from them from a D and D perspective. I, there's there's too much else out there. Like I said, I'm working on my own, but there's other there's other systems that I would rather invest my time in. Like I said, Shadowrun, I love that system. Um, but for anyone that does choose to continue to do so, and this also falls under the the D and D Beyond, if you choose not to cancel your subscription because you have all these notes, you have all this product, you have all these campaigns, you're running with your players, asking someone to cancel their subscription as a gigantic middle finger to Watsi, it's their choice. I feel like any sort of like pressure to do so just feels icky. It feels just as icky as what Watsi is doing. You know, it's like we want our voices to be heard, but we don't want to pressure other people to jump in line on our side. I'm like that. Uh, it's not. We're not any better. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and because I've seen a lot of people also not just saying, you know, hey, cancel your subscription. Hey, stop buying Magic the Gathering. Hey, you know, you know, stop even playing, you know, Magic and stop playing D and D. Now that's a little much. Um, I, there's a lot of people who, who have been saying that we should just stop playing D and D at all um, with everything we currently own and just get rid of all of our books and go to a different system. I think it is especially perfectly fine for people who are just like, "Hey, I own these books. I'm not going to buy any more because screw that company. I'm just going to keep ha having fun with my friends downstairs." I think that's perfectly viable, and I don't think that's mm -hmm. immoral. I think that's you know, at that point, it, th you know, they're not making a difference towards whether or not this company is, you know, succeeding and profiting off of third-party companies at all. You know, I, I hear eBay's stock just went up by bunches because of all of the third-party sales on there of D&D books. Ooh, I need to, I need to get that point. <laughs> not not um, for D&D stuff, for terrain specifically. I mean oh, it. I'm yes. not buying anything for D&D. &D. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really need some more ruins. Do you have any options? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I'm building my own collection myself. Ooh, styrofoam. <laughs> so, Adam, I have, a, I have a question for you specifically. Ooh, okay, I'm interested. Okay, so as a primarily homebrew DM... How do you feel that this will impact you? Do you feel like you have the need to sign this contract or do you feel like you're just going to go rogue and not, you know, mention anything? Because for our campaign, we use D&D &D Beyond. So, like, everything that you have homebrew is, like, on there. That's a really interesting question because as a homebrew DM, you know, disregarding the books and all that and everything that's first party and the rule set and all that everything that i, I have made uh is primarily actually offshore it's not on dnd beyond the only things we have on there are our characters which i mean we can always move over we can just you know um 
either print out our character sheets or just you know move them over to a different site which i mean that'd be a whole nother can of worms because okay what about that that site are they gonna have to use ogo but you know we could find a way to make that work uh, all the items i have all of the um feats i've made that i that could all be you know we, we could do that a different way that stuff i'm fine with however there's some other, other things i do worry about um while i recognize the value of first party books by wizards of the coast a majority of what i use and take inspiration from is made by third parties so you know with with ogl 1.1 that's really gonna impact me because i won't be able to use stuff i won't be able to use stuff made by kobold press or the dungeon dudes or you know take inspiration from critical role because maybe they're gonna have to you know you know you know their content's gonna be limited so all of those those things I could use are going to be really uh, you know really diminished, and alongside with OGL 1.1 is one D and D. We don't even know if Five E is really going to be supported anymore. Heck, it probably won't. And I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. And that's something we gotta you know we gotta talk to our players about Alexis specifically. You know, you, me, and the rest of our our, our group need to talk about that. So as a DM, and I think our entire group yeah it's gonna impact us um in at least some facet depending on what we do whether or not we go completely away from dnd beyond okay it won't affect us that much but if we decide to stay on dnd beyond so you guys have access to the things i've purchased and it won't be as much work moving everything over i mean it'll, it'll, it'll definitely still impact us not even in just a, a, a physical sense but also in a moral sense because then i'll be like okay i am paying this I am paying money to this company. I'm using their product. What does that say about me? Yeah. I, w I would like to to point out one thing, that with 1D&D, they have stated that um, everything 5th edition will be compatible with it. Really? That was one of the... Okay. Yes. Yep. That was one of the mission statements for like their design ethos, is that everything that they make is backwards compatible. Um, the one D&D is so it's more about having everything under one roof. So let's say they change terminology. Um, that would be a digital update as opposed to just the physical books, uh, specifically with Spelljammer that got released. They released Spelljammer, which ugh, anyway, I loved Spelljammer when it was AD&D. And the product that that, that Watsi released is, it's really overly, co it's overly, it's coherent. Um, and it's beautiful. I got the full hardback set and uh, it's set. It's really awesome. Um, but there was a, 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 a character race in there. Um, they use Ancestry now for one D&D, but um, it was essentially like flying monkeys in space. So Wizard of Oz just, they had liftoff control. <laughs> Unfortunately, there were some things in their lore that uh, folks took offense to. Um, that got called out. So all future publications, Wizards went back to the drawing board and rewrote their lore. And on D&D Beyond, it's already updated. But all future printings will have the revised versions. They did this with uh, The Curse of Strahd. Which, while I can understand why they would want a little more cultural sensitivity, I actually think it detracted from the book. And this is more of an opinion thing here. But um, effectively, they want 
stuff under one D&D so that if they do make a change, uh, if they do update a rule set, if they alter terminology, it's a little bit easier for them to make those changes instead of having to go back and reprint a bunch of different books and product and then try to sell those books and product. I see. Okay, th that's a really good clarification. Makes a little more sense. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about 1D&D. &D. Um, I, I thought some of the changes were... It's very player-centric, um, which I think is great because players want to feel like they have control over things. Um, however, <laughs> it makes our job a lot a lot harder, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say, when you said that, I, I was like, hmm, the operative word in that sentence you just said is was excited. Um, <laughs> specific question. I, I know we're kind of getting off topic of what you want, Alexis, but uh, fuck it, we're here. Question, John. I like this guy. <laughs> yeah. I like this guy a lot. <laughs> so, so, listeners, you may not know this. You, you, usually when you guys, when, when you hear, you've ever seen, you know, if you've ever seen literature around uh, the D20 system, specifically D&D, you'll hear uh, natural 20, natural 1. And usually you'll say, okay, natural 20, they succeed, let's go. Natural 1, automatic fail. It's actually not always the case. Uh, depending on mm -hmm. certain checks, for example, um, like if I'm trying to persuade somebody or if I'm making a saving throw from uh, some kind of spell, yeah, D uh, natural 20s and natural 1s still happen, but their effect of automatically succeeding or failing doesn't work. So, for example, if uh, I was DMing for you, John, and you were like, hey, I want to, you know, screw this quest. I'm just going to go find the king. I'm going to try to persuade him to let me rule the castle. Uh, cool. I would have you roll a, a persuasion check. Um, and let's say you got a natural 20. In the current system, I'd be like, cool. What's the total? Okay, the total's like, you know, you know, like 21 or something because you don't have amazing charisma. Cool. Even, even <laughs> if you had rolled. True. I don't mean that in real life. No, no, <laughs> no actually, I, you're I, pretty I spot on. I just think of a number. But basically, what I'm trying to say is it would not automatically su succeed so that crazy things like trying to seduce a dragon like we joked about or, like I said, you know, convincing the king to let them rule the kingdom doesn't happen. However, in 1D&D, &D, um, and of course, it's still in playtest, one of the things they're testing is that natural ones always fail, which I kind of get, but also that natural 20s always succeed. So I have to ask, John, what do you think of that as a DM to think that, you know, because th that's a lot of possibilities for things to happen in your game now, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was kind of a weird unwritten rule because you're correct. The perception that you roll a nat 20, you're like, boom, nat 20, baby, here we go. And you do the dance around the table like you just won the Super Bowl, which in some cases you might have. The, the idea that you automatically succeed is, is not true, like you said. It depends on the situation. The king is not obviously going to bow down. They may be a little bit more lenient. They're like, all right, well, I don't – where are you going with this? You might bend their ear a little bit, but they're not suddenly going to abdicate and like swing around, drape you like the the, cur the cowardly lion in Wizard of Oz, you know, and be like, <laughs> like that's not about to happen at all in any way, shape, or form. Like, and then and the same thing with like a one. Yes, that's a failure, but I don't think it should be like that's it, you're done. And like, this goes example, back to once um, again. 
uh, what if that rogue ability where if you roll below a, a 10, you treat it as a 10? So I guess a new this mm-hmm. new system, it would just, a natural one, you would just fail automatically, which kind of screws over the rogue class. Oh, for sure. But rogues are OP, right? Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. Love, we love them, come on. Well, in, in, in 1D&D as well, they took away uh, sneak attack, the bonus damage. Yeah, I... I didn't look too far into that, mostly out of um, disappointment. <laughs> um, but no, so I'll, I'll use a couple of examples. So the way that successes are handled, um, you know what? I'll use uh, I'll use my system, just shill for myself for a second. So the way that the system works for for mine is that you build two different dice pools. You have what's called the threshold pool, and it's comprised of a collection of D6s representing the amount of stress that the, the character is currently under. You roll that pool first, and for every four, five, and six that are rolled, those become your target number. So if your average test for a trained character, and I use quotation marks there, is three and you roll a four and a six that is now the target number that the character has to roll again so going back to the idea of the dm fudging the roll the care like the actual players themselves roll those dice the dm helps set it up and gets all the dice ready and everything and then passes that off and the player can either roll or the dm could roll if they so choose what happens next is the player gets a choice they look at that 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 two and they look at their stat, which is their ability, and let's say the basic stat is three. They grab three of their own D6s. Then they look and see if they have a skill, a linked skill, that's a focus of that stat. They upgrade one of those D6s to a D10 for each skill focus that they have. There's trained, learned, and experienced, and there's only three levels. So if you have three ranks in a stat, you could upgrade all three of them to D10s. With the D10, it's still the four, five, and six, but on a nine, you score two hits. On a 10, you score two hits as well. So you form your dice pool, and then if you're still kind of unsure, um, the average right now seems to be two regular D6s and one D10. If you're just that worried that you're not gonna pass it, you can use what's called a scene pool. And based on your stats and however all the formulas work out, you have a small pool of dice that you can borrow from during that scene to help your roll out. And through various features, you can also gain bonus dice. So you might end up with a pool of five D6s and a D10. And then you have the glitch die. So you take this pool and you roll it. For every four, five, and six that you roll, you gain a hit. Every nine and 10 you roll, like I said, you gain two. If what you roll is higher than the target number, you succeed. If it is equal to, it's a partial success. Anything lower is obviously a failure. But wait, you're not through yet. The glitch die, if it rolls a six, it's a positive glitch. And the player has the option to either re-roll one of their dice or re-roll one of the stress dice to see if it now no longer affects the roll and that might give them the extra edge to pass or might give them the extra edge to partially succeed or fully succeed in the case of uh they have another stat called reputation reputation allows them to manipulate 
the dice based on certain factors. They can use it to increase the pip of a die from like a three to a four or an eight to a nine. Um, they have the ability to re-roll a dice per reputation used or add a dice per reputation used. So there's a way that the player can really impact the scene. So let's say you roll everything, you, you kind of went for it, but you were like one pip away from passing, like a, a full complete success. You could boost that by using the reputation to give it. So it now makes all of the resources that you have matter. It makes the stats that you have matter, and then it makes your skills impact the rolls matter as well. And what I've, I've seen from rolling this with my table is that there's a real genuine excitement and a real moment where you're like, oh man, if I burn that reputation, I don't have it again for the rest of the session. Do I really want to use it right now? So you have to make choices. And they're, the only natural success where you pass it is if you roll all of your dice and they all roll sixes and tens. It's just your whole dice pool comes up Yahtzee. <laughs> like, obviously, you're going to pass. With a full the house. Others, exactly. Yeah. The other, but it's only sixes. The same is true if you roll only ones. It's an automatic failure. And the, the funny thing about that, and yes, of course, like, the reason for that is the mathematical probability of rolling ten dice with all sixes does exist <laughs> but the ability to do that is so you, i mean you can actually do the formulas and the algorithms to find exactly how what the percentage of that is but it's possible so you had to i had to account for that some way in the system so that's the only way that you can actually fully pass it no matter what but it gets away from the idea of you rolled a nat 20 or you rolled a nat 1 because those just don't exist in the system it's it's solely based on the excitement level of manipulating the dice pools in order to figure out the bet like the most optimal combination to help you pass that test with the resources that you've built for your character so the character matters and the character directly influences their ability to overcome the stress that's been placed on them extremely long-winded answer though i am so sorry <laughs> no, no no that was a really really good answer i, I like the idea yeah. of that system same So after all this, do you guys think that you'll still be playing? I mean, we have a session tomorrow, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I worked so hard on Nikes. <laughs> yeah. So so the way I view it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll still be playing. Um, you know, we as a group will still be playing. Whether or not that means we're always going to be playing D&D &D and we may not tra you know, transfer to a different system, we don't know. Um, I mean, that's a conversation we have to have, and we have to see what the hell happens. I mean, with everything going on with Paizo and the newly announced ORC, Open RPG Creative License, they've just released uh, today. Um, not released, but, you know, you know. Announced, yep. By the way, their site's crashed. <laughs> I was looking it up. It's like, it's crashed. <laughs> um, a 502 bad gateway error. Oh, no good. Um, but no, same thing for us. Uh, like I said, I don't I don't hate D&D. &D. Um, it ended up becoming limited for what like my tables like to run. Um, 
but no, like I I can't. I just I just got my new Kickstarter of the new Blade Runner RPG from Free League Pre- like publishing. Like I can't I can't stop playing RPGs now. <laughs> I spent too much darn money on this stuff. <laughs> um plus that and uh, like I mentioned, I'm a business analyst. Being a DM has given me so many real world skills. Like when I run our standups in the morning, I run it like a DM. And without digging into how how that role works with the group, with the, the community that you build and the interpersonal relationships and how to handle, like I said, problematic situations, conflict resolution, all of that, uh, being a DM really helps with that. Um, for folks that are struggling with like mental health, like, I cannot recommend these games enough. It, it does help pull you out of that that funk that you're in. Um, or can. Oh, There's sometimes yeah, where... For... Yeah, go ahead. For me, with D&D, I often... With, with, with my mental health, I often find it difficult to be myself... So with D&D, I have an opportunity to be this character and to be this person that I'm not, that I wish I could be, but my mental health, you know, keeps me from being. So, like, it's a huge release, if you will. And I think that's important for for people. Totally agree. And and if my wife was joining us on this podcast, she would she would agree as well. She, uh, she created a character that was a paladin, and uh, it's so funny. She's, she's very not frontline. She's, she's not a in-your-face, and she created this paladin with a glaive, and I looked at her, I was like, this is going to be fun. And she got herself in a situation where she was handed, she was trying to infiltrate uh, an enemy camp, and she ended up <laughs> running one of the regiments in this enemy camp, and she had to be all big and boisterous and like go kick out the enemy commander from his tent and she like describes the scene and how she says it and you know we're all laughing and stuff like that and after all of it she's like and then i collapse on the bed and cry because this is just not who i am (laughs) (laughs) but it was it was one of those moments where she like that was four years ago that was four years ago and that memory is still right there and i think that that's what's important are, are the memories that we make enjoying this game and like i said corpos are gonna corpo and i'd love to burn all their shit to the ground for being greed or greedy but at the end of the day who we are to one another and what we bring to what we bring to the game what we take away from the game it, it kind of transcends all of that um whether i buy products from them again or not is not the point it's I still want those memories. I still want to make those memories. I still want to be a part of that community. So there it is. <laughs> yeah, as Adam, Adam knows, this last character that I played, Ari, was, you know, a ranger who just kind of chilled in the background, but was like a super, like, badass who always just, you know, came up and just killed it. Which, if anybody knows me in real life, I'm just kind of weird and just kind of shy and not ever taking chances. So it was great to, like, get out of my comfort zone. And 
the current character I'm playing, Nikes, is just an asshole and like super boisterous and just in your face and it's nice to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. So like the fact that Wizards of the Coast is coming in and just being like all this could be taken away kind of sucks as players too. Not just for content creators, but I feel like for players, it's a huge impact on them, too. Because now we're sitting here wondering, like, is it okay if we go to our session, or are we just kind of contributing to the downfall and the immoral, you know, immoral question of all of this? Yeah, it's it, it's tough, because... at the while you want to keep playing this game with your friends because it's beneficial to you and you have fun and if you invested so much into it but it's your time um you also don't want to you know contribute to contribute to what they're doing and, and support them um i mean I'll, I'll be honest i think this could very well depending on how things go be the end of D D. now that doesn't mean the you know you know fucking uh, horrible you know we're going to hell like it's gonna be horrible all TTRPGs are gonna die. No, this could just be the end of D and D because of Witches of the Coast, and maybe that's not a horrible thing. Maybe that's not the best thing to say, but that was gonna be my next question: is if y'all yeah. think this is the end. So, I mean, Witches Witches is actively trying to control the aspect of 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 you know the lifeblood of this of this game, the community. And restrict the freedom of that, which is the reason why this game has t taken off. There's so many other systems that are amazing and, and work great uh, and had a lot of really hardworking people behind it, but just didn't take off because there wasn't the community. Because I'm sure, like like a lot of us, like if we didn't hear about, about this from Critical Role or Stranger Things, we wouldn't have gotten into D&D. Um, you know, so if, if something like Critical Role or, or something was showing off another game like uh you know an another rpg we'd be we all we'd all be into that so i mean if dnd dies maybe that'll just make a space for all these other games that are starting to become popular and actually being seen by the rest of us because i mean basically what i'm trying to say is i think if the ogl 1.1 is released in its current state or even a better state it could it could spell disaster for dnd Man, it's 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 so funny the way that you put that too, because the first R the first RPG that I really got into was with a, a really good friend of mine, um, who I, I don't see nearly as often as I wish I did, but uh, it was Pathfinder. It was Pathfinder First Edition. Um, I I was more of a Magic the Gathering fan and like t you know card games and then video games of course, but like actual traditional paper and pen it was actually pathfinder and learning that it was of course like D D, and i started looking at it's like oh fourth edition's out and uh i love the fourth edition board games that's why i have such a, an actual appreciation for fourth edition but you 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 hit the nail on the head the explosion is is literally from that zeitgeist of, of folks that did grow up with it and they wanted to recreate their childhood and repackage it as a visual medium product for us and you know whether it was critical role um i actually would like to to throw a shout out to one of my favorite D, &D podcast groups um they're called knights and nerds 
Uh, their first season is involves the Fey Run Four, and it is one of the funniest actual plays I've ever listened to. You have characters like Spruce Lee, Beyonce. <laughs> oh, God. I love it. Gil- Gilly Crystal instead of Billy. It is hilarious, and it is so well run. But while I was learning how to, I mean, when I picked up the reins of DMing back in, oh my God, um, <clears throat> not showing my age, it's been a hot minute. Like there weren't a lot of resources to actually learn how to play and or, and how to be a DM and how to be in that role. And listening to these podcasts and actual plays like really helped. And so even if I may have gotten into it from a different angle, a lot of the folks coming into it via Critical Role or, or, or via Stranger Things, they're able to pick it up, like you said, because of that third party. All of those content creators that are supporting it. And I'm interested to see how they continue, whether it's their channels, whether it's their podcasts, how they handle that moral quandary of we're doing this, but we don't really support what D&D is doing. I don't know if it's the death. I think what we're going to see is a gigantic co-op of fifth edition. I actually predict that what's going to happen is fifth edition is going to be the literal for the people by the people. <laughs> and it's, it's going to be run by us. Like forget what Watsy says. It's ours now, bitches. Like that's how this is going to go down. Um, and that's actually what the, uh, the Paizo statement was. They, they have a legal firm that is uh, dedicated to creating a safe Harbor for any company, publisher, creator, etc., from litigation from Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> so the OCR that was mentioned, that's what that's referring to. Like, they have a legal team. It's like the Ghostbusters. It's like, we're ready to believe you. You know, that kind of... <laughs> it's that kind of thing now. And so, no, I don't think it's going to be the death, but I do see... I do see a potential for what happened with 4th Edition. Um where it was fourth edition was so badly received and had such little support that it atrophied and i kind of see D D going the way of like ubisoft games like assassin's creed where everything is so bloated and full of microtransactions and everything is just nickel and dime to death and the rules no longer have that essence of of fun where it's just a oh don't get me product. started don't get me started on Assassin's Creed. Uh oh, I see a third podcast in our future. <laughs> I, I believe you've already done an episode on this, correct? We've done the first the first game. We have the other twelve to go through. So, but so viewers, like viewers, for reference, uh, the, one of the individuals who gets it on that, I believe Ray was on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ray is actually one of my brothers, so there is a hmm. connectivity to all of this. <laughs> it's a vicious circle yes but um <laughs> oh god that's <laughs> i was like it's 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 like rings within rings oh yeah um, it, it all comes back to all the other things it's just it's all connected <laughs> and 
the great circle of life. What are we, a Disney movie now? Have we have exactly. we gone that far like into the field that we've become a Disney film? Oh no. Don't don't sue us, Mickey. <laughs> I mean either Wizards of the Coast or Disney's gonna sue us, so I mean <laughs> Oh oh boy. Um <laughs> sorry. Um, but no, I, I don't. I don't think it'll die. But I do believe that uh, it might go the way of, of fourth edition with it, with its atrophy. Um, I think the brand recognition is is too strong. Like is too strong. And I, you know, what's going to be interesting is don't we have another season of Stranger Things? How are they going to wrap this one up? Like, what's their take on all this? Oh um, yeah, especially after all <laughs> all of this. Yeah, because uh, they they did release the adventure path from that game, the, the Thessal Hydran, that that's a product now of wizards of the coast. So I'm intrigued to see what their thoughts and, you know, responses are, but no, I, I, I don't, I don't think it'll die. I think it'll morph. And the hope is that the, um, the support for other systems shows up, uh, specifically for Talsorian games with like cyberpunk red or, um, Cataclysm, uh, yeah, Catalyst games for, like I said, for Shadowrun. Like maybe it'll give other systems a chance to shine. Um, like I mentioned, the the Star Wars RPG because Star Wars is still such a hot product, and Edge being able to continue that RPG after the rights lapsed with Fantasy Flight games, I thought was incredible enough. But um, there are other options. And maybe we get a chance to see what those options are for folks. I do believe, though, it it was it's going to revolve around the digital space, where those tools rely. You know, where those tools lie. How easy is it to get character sheets in front of folks? Like how calculations are handled for not just rolls, but for dice mechanics, for you know, building the sheet itself instead of doing everything paper and pencil i don't know if we'll ever go back to that that's where i started i don't know if we'll ever go back to that um but who knows like that's that's kind of thing is we're at it's like we're at this like really weird edge of a brand new frontier and we have no idea where it's gonna go and it's a little bit scary um but it's almost like we get to just kind of look at like watsy is like the begrudging abusive parents and go we don't need (laughs) you anymore we're doing our own thing um and they'll still be there. The, like, I think the worst part is that no one knows for sure because Watsi hasn't said anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the worst par- part about all of this. Um, there's, we have no idea. Sure, the leak's been confirmed. Uh, like, I think there's there's a, a lower lower uh, in the stack employee who came out and confirmed this, and uh, some news sources were able to confirm yes, he does work at Wizards of the Coast. But like, that's all we know. Uh, we haven't gotten any real word from Wizards other than, hey, we know you have, in quotations, questions about this. Um, so not only for companies that need need to, uh, you know, to settle down and, and sign and apply for this new OGL tomorrow, right? I think it's tomorrow or something. Um, mm-hmm. Not only them, they're affected and have no idea what to do. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, you know. What if, what if somebody just got into Critical Role and they're like, dude, I want to play this D&D thing. Let me order the player's handbook. What is happening to D&D? Do I order? Do I, do I get into this? Do I invest money? 
So it's it's literally everybody's just waiting on Wizards of the Coast to respond. And honestly, at this point, it's all we can do. And I think I think their time their time for actual i will say they did give one slight update it is no longer referred to as ogl 1.1 it's now referred to as just straight up ogl 2.0 so i don't know if that makes me like yeah right (laughs) that was my first reaction i'm like oh no the watsi strikes back like what's about to happen um but that that's that's the only thing that we have and i think that they waited too long to make an announcement i think they waited uh, too long. I think they were hoping for folks like Cobalt Press and Green Green Ronin to sign the 1.1. Because imagine, imagine if they had. Like, I don't think they would have waited so long to do a response if they had some of their, you know, their competitors say like, yeah, absolutely, we'll agree to these terms, and they agree to these terms, and then Watsi can say like, see, see, everybody's on our side. It's just you YouTubers that you know, and podcasters, and all of you other ramblers on social media. We you, you're you're on the outside looking in, and we have all these you know players on our team. And now slowly it's like, no, you you don't have anybody. Like, mm-mm. and I think that's the damning thing is they haven't made a statement, but everybody else is now starting to. I think I think their time for any sort of damage control is over. The damage is done. It's now where do we go from here? Yeah. By the way, Paizo's site is still crashed. Yeah, I was about to say, I've been refreshing it every once in a while. <laughs> so do you guys have any final comments or questions or anything you want to get out there? John, you want to go first? You got anything? Just keep rolling your dice. Live your lives. Enjoy each other's company. Be good to one another. Like this, this, this too shall pass. Um, it's going to be a different world moving forward, but just, yeah, just be good to one another, take care of one another, but don't stop playing. There's no need to just enjoy what you enjoy. Let everybody else fight it out in the trenches. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I think the only thing I could add on to that would be, uh, fuck Watsy. In more ways than one. <laughs> there we go. Hey, speaking of the seducing the dragon thing, so can we leave it on a funny anecdote? Go for it. Can we? Yeah. All right. Okay, so Lexi sent me that meme. And the first response back to her was, oh, ye youngins, we've already been there, done that. And I sent her the cover of a book that was published under the OGL 1.0a known as the book of erotic fantasy <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> oh i i'm let me guess you're googling that right now <laughs> i'm deciding whether i i whether i want to or not yeah I'm i'll that. i'll send it i'll i'll send it to you adam okay and it um if you want to know how to seduce that dragon, it's covered in there. Oh boy. <laughs> but that kind of that kind of content is is uh is one of the reasons why like Watsi kind of did want to control a little bit of what's out there cuz technically all they had to do is agree to that and um 
dwarves in gimp suits are just not my cup of tea. <laughs> Ex except on the third Saturday of every second month at 10 p.m. <laughs> See that 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 is just one step removed from having like like a Kenku fantasy book called Feather Leather, and I'm all for it. Oh, that gives a whole new meaning to Murder of Crows. I love it. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Wow. And counting. What, what what a way to end it. <laughs> Please tell me you can end this with some royalty-free music or version of a Counting Crows song. I'm sure I can find something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This has been wild, and I've loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for having me on this. Thank you yeah. guys for coming on here. It, it was great to get, you know, both, like, similar perspectives and different perspectives from where you guys are in the D&D the D &D world. So thank you guys. Yeah, of course. Thank oh, you're you welcome. And I hope that anyone who has listened up until this point will continue to listen. And if you guys have any questions or want to weigh in on anything, you can email us at geekguildquestions at gmail.com. We would love to answer your questions or, you know, talk to you about some of the stuff that's going on. So thank you guys, and we'll see you next time. Woohoo!